Primary Care Knowledge Boost, why leadership skills in primary care matter. Welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Today we're speaking to Dr. Amar Raghani about leadership skills in general practice. And the first thing that we should say about Amar is that he's got a voice for podcasts (laughs) and we could listen to him all day. Um, So, and secondly, he's well versed in the topic of leadership skills and we think he communicates it in such a lovely way. Dr. Amar Raghani and friend of the podcast, Dr. Joanna Bircher, published their book, The Leadership Hike, Shaping Primary Care Together late last year. And actually, it's a really interesting take on leadership, um, a bit easier to digest than some of the similar books that we've tried. Yeah, it's a really thought-provoking read and definitely sort of puts you in a really contemplative place <laughs> and did make me think of applying some of the principles to all aspects of life. So yeah, it's, it's a nice read. Um, and in today's episode, we go through why we should care about leadership skills, uh, which is a big question, <laughs> uh, why he became involved in the field and what we're going to be looking at for the few more episodes around this topic. Um, and I will say that um, just because you've heard leadership it's not quite as bad as those sessions that you used to sit through as a trainee or that you get me to listen to um because we've been there and we know what it's like but it's 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 a really nice chat with Amar and he's got some lovely takes and anecdotes and thoughts on leadership um so even if you're not necessarily wanting to develop your leadership skills it's still a really nice episode just to sit back and relax and listen to I think Mm. um so we hope you enjoy thank you Sarah and Lisa very much for this um invitation. And although I can't see everyone out there, I'm just imagining my friends in the primary care team, because up until fairly recently, I was a GP um, and part of a fantastic team in Sheffield. My my name is Amaragani. Um, I, um, so going back, I, my parents came over actually as uh, immigrants and I was born in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in 1957, so you can do the math. Um, and I grew up there until I was about eight or nine. Then we moved down to London. My father got a job in general practice. Most of my formative years were spent growing up on the east side of London, um, in Ilford in Essex. And um, then I went to med school in, in London and eventually became a GP up in Sheffield, where I am now. So I was part of a, what in those days was a very big practice. You know, 19,000 patients was a huge practice back in the late 1980s. I suppose the other thing that's worth saying is that the, my main focus, of course, has been really on patient care. That's the thing that I loved more than anything else. And whatever else was going on in my life, um, just the first consultation of the morning reminded me strongly of why I'm doing this every day. I had that feeling this is why there aren't so many jobs you know you can say that about but I also uh, was very interested in, in education partly because I'm very interested in how we develop and grow and and try to, to learn and be better than we were and that sort of morphed itself quite naturally into education and medical education specifically so I but my role in education was more around Standard setting, so assessment and developing the curriculum for, for GPs. So it, it, it wasn't the sort of trainer background, although I was very much involved in training, but it was more looking at what it is that we should be doing. The why question, why are we doing this? What is general practice about? What's important about it? And how do we preserve that? And then setting standards. So what are legitimate standards to set and how do we, how do we measure them? 
Mm-hmm. And remembering, because as an assessor, this kept coming back to me, Einstein, from whom we can learn an awful lot, even if you're not a physicist or a mathematician, um, he said that not everything that's important in life can be measured. He also said that not everything that can be measured is important. And those two phrases have, have helped me greatly um, over the years when trying to think of, you know, what's important here. That's a perfect introduction to you. Thank you. Um, so can you tell us about the book now? Uh, what was it about leadership that um, that made you want to write a book about it? Or why did you and Joanna write a book about leadership? So it was, a, it was my idea to do this, but Joanna, I, I had come across um, and I had a wonderful experience of visiting her practice and seeing how she was with her team. Joanna is an expert on quality improvement. She loves the data and she likes to look at, you know, how things um, can be moved forward incrementally, experimentally, I would say, and so on. Mm. It's a, it's a really powerful and inclusive approach. And having seen that and observed that with her, I just thought that her core values and beliefs were very similar to mine in, in how we feel about the possibilities of leadership, but that she would, she looks at the world and thinks about the world in a different way and that we would be complementary to each other and produce something much better than just one of us on our own, which actually is, is also part of the ethos of the, the book. Yeah. Um, coming back to how the book came about, well, that was interesting because I've mentioned that I was an assessor and I was working on the curriculum. So um, assessment is all about, for me, the, all about the MRCGP, um, which is the licensing exam for those who want to be GPs. Um, and about... 2013 or thereabouts, the, all the, all the medical specialties were beginning to say leadership is something important. So they, they'd got hold of the idea that leadership is an important concept. And the Academy of Royal Colleges, this sort of um, overarching group, told each medical specialty to bring that into their curriculum and to assess it. And I heard that and I thought, right, I'm really really interested in this I'd never really had a specialist in quotes interest in leadership before mm. um, but I, th- I found myself thinking well I'm going to have to be part of a group that somehow defines leadership and thinks about how you can measure that so I you know I mentioned Einstein a while ago and it worried me enormously because well actually two two things I, I had to pause at that stage and think about what I was going to do and two things came to mind that really helped me one was from a Greek poet who who categorized two types of people. So one was a type that I definitely wasn't, which was a fox, very bright, picks up things quickly, knows a lot about a lot, or knows a little about a lot, shall we say, but that sort of foxy type mentality and so on. So I didn't see myself as being a fox at all because foxes would look at the notion of leadership and quickly work out what it was and be able to explain it to you. And I just wasn't able to grasp it in those terms. However, this poet also said the other sort of person or the other sort of people are hedgehogs. So I like hedgehogs, actually, but hedgehogs, so he said, are characterized by knowing only one thing, but it's a big thing. So I thought, yeah, I think I'm a hedgehog because I know only one thing. And it's a big thing. It's that leadership is really, really important. And it's an important, it's important in a way I don't yet understand. So I gave up lots of stuff in order to focus on 
what on earth this concept meant and, you know, why I thought it was important. And the other thing that helped me was a book that I picked up um, on a holiday in the Cotswolds. And I, I found a line in it as I was standing in the, in the, in the, um, in the shop. And it was from a guy called Eric Fromm, who I hadn't heard of then, but he's a German social psychologist, really. And, um, he's had many quotes, but the quote in the book was, man's main task in life is to give birth to himself. And that won't mean a lot to a lot of people, but it really struck me very strongly at the time because I thought this is something that means something very important. And as I've thought about it as time has gone on, it struck me that it's about being authentic. It's about stripping away the facades that are put on you, you know, like being a medic or a paramedic or a physio or whatever, Mm -hmm. having a degree, being a graduate, being a son or a daughter, living up to the roles of treating people, stripping all those away and trying to find out what it is that is at the essence of you. If you can understand that, then another realisation I've come to later in life is that if you can learn to take that seriously enough to devote a significant part of your life to it, you can be the strongest that you are capable of being, you know? You can give the best of yourself strongly to the world. And what I really believe is that um, as a leader, that's that's what we really need. We need people to be themselves and to be themselves strongly. So those two realizations took me on this journey. I guess because I was involved in research in an earlier life, researchers will tell you, you never, never research without sharing the outcomes of that. Otherwise, what's the point? So it's a duty that if you found something out or you have some insight that might help others, that you share that. You don't keep it to yourself. So that's where the idea of the book came in. Yeah. I don't know if that answers what you, what you yeah, had in mind. Does. but yeah, uh, definitely. So, yeah, so that was the thought. Then, then, of course, it sort of led on to, well, what sort of book do you want it to be? I don't know if that would interest you, but um, but we had a thought. I I felt we've all read a lot of books and we have views on how books come out and, you know, what impresses us about them or what have you. I had a really, really strong feeling, as I said, that leadership matters. It matters in a powerful way that I hadn't at that time understood. Mm. I'm not claiming to understand it now. I just have a better grasp. Maybe that's for you to judge. But I really felt that if leadership matters, it's something that you feel. It's not something that you just know. It's something that you feel. It matters enough that you want to do something with it. Um, so I felt that this book had to be something that touched people, that, that actually you felt something. You felt something about passion. You felt something of why we felt it was important. You felt something about what, what its influence and power was and how it might change you and change the world around you. Mm. And we wanted people to connect in terms of their heads, thinking about things differently, being more open-minded. We wanted people to feel something. We didn't want to prescribe what that might be, but we wanted them to, 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 to feel that this mattered to them in some way that we, that we didn't want to define. And we wanted people on the basis of those two things, being open-minded and to 
feel a sense of energy and, and motivation to do something with it. So we wanted the book to be able to give you the next steps. You know, how do you convert that feeling, that notion, that sense of something within that wants to find expression? How could you use that in ways that might help you to live a better life, run a better practice, work better with the people around you? So that's where the book comes from. I'm not sure. Well, I know that not all books are written with that in mind. But it had that, that, that very clear feeling. So I think both Joanna and I felt something strongly every time we wrote anything towards the book. And I hope that comes across, you know, in, in the way it's written and the way that we try and engage with people with it. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah, yeah I was going to say it definitely does. Um, the, the book has a hike metaphor throughout it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so it might be nice just to know where that kind of thought came from or why that's the way right. you chose to express it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, I live about 10 minutes from the Peak District by foot. So how could it not, how could it not be about a hike? (laughs) But no, um, okay. A really good way of trying to unpick something that's troubling you or try and reflect and find out, you know, the deeper roots of something or, or trying to work through a knotty problem is to is to go for it go for a bit of a hike you know just get yourself out there and if you can walk with a mate this this book this hike at a deep level joanna and i are walking alongside you we really care about you we really care about you and we really want you to be the best you can be we do have a position we do have a position which is actually our position is that leadership is about helping us to create a better world Mm-hmm. Um, that actually, if that matters to you, then we want to help you to do it. So that's the starting point for, for, for picking up the book. We also think that actually nothing significant in life happens on an individual basis. The really important things for all of us are complicated. Sorry, they're complex rather than not complicated. They're not things we can work through just from an individual perspective. We absolutely need the perspective of other people. We absolutely need their ability to look at the world in different ways, to come up with solutions in different ways, and to combine their skills and their strengths, which I mentioned earlier, because collectively we are just so much stronger. So that's why we care about you. We don't care what your strengths are, because we don't know you, but we want to help you to explore that notion and see whether it rings true for you. And we want you to commit your life to doing something about it. So We are not interested in you reading a book and ticking a box on an assessment schedule. That would be a waste. If you want to live a better life, if you want to to live in a better society, just look at the world around us, Sarah Lisa, you know. The world is convulsing at the moment. It's convulsing in every dimension. To me, these are not death throes. These are birth pangs, you know. They're birth pangs. There is a new world that is trying to be born. So this is just an amazing time to be alive. That world cannot be predicated on the beliefs and ambitions of a few people, whether they be power brokers or billionaires or whatever. It's something that we all have a hand in, and that's what leadership is about. Mm. So this hike that we're on, Joanna and I, we are walking alongside you. You will find that we will ask you questions. We will ask you to explore. 
um, that we will hopefully challenge you and provoke you. We'll give you a few tips. We'll give you some stories and examples of how we see it in other people and in other contexts. And we'll ask you to explore whether this has any meaning for you. We will try and cajole you to experiment with that yourself. We will show you that actually every step of this leads to a better place. And at the end, we lie, of course. We tell you that there's a view from the top. And of course, the top is never the top. I've given it away, but you knew that anyway. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, it's a journey. And actually, you know, the end of the book, but I remember writing these last lines, you know, we just say, you know, we hope that this exploration has enriched your understanding of leadership. We hope that it inspires you to help others make their difference. If it does, then our hike together has been worthwhile. And we are with you in spirit as your adventure takes you in a new direction. So we say goodbye to you there, but we know but we know you're going off in a new direction and that's going to be amazing. So maybe you'll give people my email address at the end of all this and because I'd love to hear where people have gone next with their journey. That would be fantastic. Yeah. It's definitely something where, like like you say, what you're saying about kind of that hiking and having that space where you're concentrating on other things and so your mind can unwind in this really more relaxed way. And it does, it, it puts you in that place where you're kind of very contemplative and you're, you do feel like yeah. you're looking objectively at, at situations and it, and it's thinking, yeah, about that bigger picture and what do you want in life? And yeah, for me, I was thinking all about all different friends and family members and yeah, that drive that what do, yeah, what do you want yeah. and how do you want the world and your life to look like? That's right. And there are times when, you know, when you're hiking, there are tricky bits um, traverses that you've not come across before. And actually, you know, there are times you feel quite frightened when you look down or look ahead. And just having somebody who's either been there or been on something similar who can give you confidence, mm -hmm. help you with your courage, that's, that's also part of it. Because, you know, if you're never being courageous, you're never actually doing leadership. It always requires you to do things, you know, that are going to, that are going to stretch you, but you'll be glad that you did it. Mm. We're thinking about the people out there that's that are listening, and we're sort of thinking of it from the context of new GPs. They might want to take a leadership role in general practice, but they've sat in those partners meetings or the CCG meetings, and <laughs> they've seen a very complex and tricky world. And sometimes there is apathy in those meetings. Sometimes there's non decisions. There's a lot of negotiations that happen. I guess we're just kind of orientating the the listenership in terms of giving us a little bit of an elevator pitch as to why why should we want to become better leaders and why it's important. You make a really important point. Why? Why would I want to be part of this? We can't prescribe that because we have to get to what it is that matters to people. But I guess mm -hmm. at one level, if we're saying that actually, I suppose it starts with feeling, and this isn't meant to sound grandiose, do you want your your world, whatever that is, your community, your society, your practice, do you want that to be a better place than it is now? Then that's a starting point. If you don't, then, then, then actually the rest isn't necessarily for you, at least not now. If you also feel that, that actually you want to play a part in shaping that, and I put it that way because actually using the L word and saying, do you want to lead that? A lot of people have notions of what they think leadership is mm -hmm. and they would immediately absent themselves from that. They'd say, well, no, I don't want to be a leader, but I'm willing to play my part. What we're saying is that 
anyone who wants to play their part in helping to shape the future is going to need to use leadership skills and, interestingly, followership skills, because it's two sides of the same coin. It's about how we use who we are to try and help to shape the future, help change to happen more effectively. Yeah. So, and when I've said we use what we are, what I'm getting at is that actually each of us has an influence on the world. And if you think about it, you can't not have an influence, Mm. you know. (laughs) Even if you step back and say, this isn't for me, I'll let you guys do it, you're still having an influence. Mm -hmm. So whatever you do, whatever you can't not have an influence. So we're sort of saying, because we all have an influence, if if we feel we want to play our part, then actually it becomes important that we learn what that influence is, and we learn to use that influence better, more knowingly than we did before. A lot of us have an influence without realising how it affects particularly people. Leadership is principally a people art, a people skill. But learning, you know, what that is, and learning how to be more effective with it, just helps you with every relationship in which, between you, you are trying to improve the world around you. Yeah. I was going to say, I feel very inspired so far by um, just the introductory chat. <laughs> I want to get out there and make a difference. Um, but Sarah and I are actually reading the the book as we go along through the series. Um, Great. So we can kind of sample Great. it and I guess metaphorically hike along with the listeners as well. So we were reading the... Um, the introductory bit and I think something that resonated quite um a lot with us was a chat around um organizational culture oh yes um, because we really felt that that was the yes kind of, uh, the reason for a lot of behaviors we'd maybe seen in, yeah. in all the places that we'd worked I thought that it would be quite a nice thing to share um with the listeners yeah. as a bit of a snippet um if you want to give a bit of a a, a chat Context around to that. that so culture is something about it's, it, it is a very deep level, deep level uh, manifestation of our identity. We adopt the culture that of an organisation that we go into remarkably quickly. It's I think of it a bit like gravity. You know, it's hugely powerful. It's invisible. Nobody makes it explicit, and yet we feel the power of it. You know, every waking moment of every waking day. It creates feelings in us because actually it has such a profound effect on us. How would you feel if something had such a profound effect, but you weren't able to connect with it or shape it or whatever? You know, you could feel controlled by that if you had no say in it or no influence on it. So culture gives rise to very strong feelings in people. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't want to be without it because a bit like gravity, you know, if we didn't have gravity, it all flows off into the ether. We need it there, don't we? We need it there to somehow hold us and keep us together and define and give give us a sense of identity. So I sort of think of culture, you know, in a couple of ways. One is the the identity, the the rituals, customs, our beliefs and values. It's those sort of things, if you like, that define who we are. Because we're all sort of scientists or pseudoscientists, I also was thinking about the Petri dish, you know, (laughs) that you open the Petri dish and you see this culture there. And that's quite interesting (laughs) because... Because I was thinking that, um, you know, when you see the mold on the top, this is like when you go into an organization, you see all these behaviors, you know, you see these behaviors there. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's like a manifestation of the culture. 
But actually underneath it is the agar, and it's the agar, the, the nutrients, that allow certain types of mould to grow and not others. Yeah. So the agar is, if you like, the context, the nutrition, what it is that's permissible, allowable, what it is that we value and encourage and allow to grow, and what it is that we that we don't want, we inhibit, we toxify it, we, we, we crush it and don't allow it to see the light of day. So that's quite interesting, you know, mm-hmm. just thinking actually that that it's a bit like that. And, and it sort of reflects the way we are, particularly with new groups of people. We see the mould and we see the behaviours and they allude to what might lie beneath the surface, which alludes to why are things this way? And it's useful to know that actually culture is powerful and it's important. And therefore, it's worth, I think, thinking seriously about it. So rather than, if you like, just find yourself shaping um, to what's around you, think about the fact that in a way, the culture is going to give identity to the people there and to you. So this matters. So take an interest in looking at the behaviours, take an interest in talking to people and find out what makes them tick. When when you see things done, ask why, why is it this way, you know, where did that come from? Mm. And maybe does it need to still be this way? Those sort of things bridge the boundary between observing what it is and assuming that this is why it is to challenging, is that why still relevant in the world we are now? As a leader, I would encourage that within my organisation. So, for example, we had a thing in our practice which was called Fresh Pair of Eyes. Basically, every new person in the organisation had a month to to get settled in and they came back to a team meeting after a month and they gave us a little resume of what they'd noticed and questions that they had about what they'd noticed and some no more than three ideas for what they thought we could change for the better. So that was really that interesting. Uh, and then they, they went off and they, and they took one of those things that we commonly agreed in the team meeting sounded good and, and, and useful to us collectively. And we helped them to make a change based on what they'd noticed and what we felt was important. That was just a way of iteratively, because we had new people in the organisation probably every three to six months, that was a way of just keeping the culture fresh, revisiting what we're doing and why, and helping new people to feel, actually, the culture is something that I have a part in shaping. Mm -hmm. It's not just something that I adopt. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's so lovely. That it's also part of valuing the new the new person into the organisation and giving them a voice without them feeling like they're going to come up against resistance. Mm-hmm. It's a really nice open platform to be able to do that. Plus, it benefits you because you get to see, you said, the fresh pair of eyes. Exactly. I've put a nice one in here. I really like this question because I'm looking forward to the answer. <laughs> um, so as healthcare professionals, there's one way of looking at kind of leadership or leadership training. So yeah. we've trained, we've spent all this money on us and all this time on us to get us to a level of clinical skill or perform a job that we've been trained to do to a high standard. Um, and so when we talk about leadership in primary care, are we talking about pulling away those professionals that you've trained to do those roles? And could you see that as a waste of clinical training or clinical skill that you're no longer using them for what they've trained so well to do? Oh, right. <laughs> do okay, you like it? Okay. 
Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Absolutely. So uh, there's a huge assumption in there, isn't there, really? So I, I guess, you know, well, the way I've talked about the book, which is the way I feel, is that, yeah, okay, you know, the book is called Shaping Primary Care Together. Actually, although we've targeted it to our community, the community that we have spent our working lives in, that targeting has used a lot of examples drawn from primary care, which are designed to help people take abstract ideas and help to root them in a workplace that they're familiar with. So that's how the book helps our primary care community. Mm -hmm. But although the book's strapline is shaping primary care together, it's really shaping the world together or shaping society together. You know, the skills are exactly the same. So I'd say, I'd say the same in answer to your question, really, Sarah, that actually having a view of clinicians that actually this is what we're trained to do. The expert technician, if you like, with, um, expert and quite partial knowledge who sits on high and, and if you like, does things to people based on their superior knowledge and insight. In part, that's true. Certainly in primary care, um, as I said earlier on when I was talking about why I'm part of primary care and not another specialty, is because we are, we are dealing with people and people's lives. They aren't just concerned in the disease. They are very concerned with how it's affecting their ability to live and do the things that they care about, which has all sorts of other health manifestations beyond dealing with the illness or the disease and is to do with how they shape their lives and shape their behaviour so that they can remain healthy or become healthy and also how they relate to the people that they are connected with so that they have the scaffolding, the infrastructure to support themselves but also the reason for living, you know. Um, they have a reason for getting better, a reason for moving forward in the world. These are what we mean by being a holistic practitioner. So... If we are signed up to being holistic practitioners that take that much broader view of patients as people, then actually all the skills that we're talking about in the book are relevant to how we help people to make the most of their health and the most of their lives. I'd almost say that the, the, the skills in the book allow you to make the most of the clinical skills that you've been taught. Um, that actually, if you are a clinician, and didn't use any of those skills, then your ability to help would be much curtailed. You would still be doing something valuable, don't get me wrong, mm. but your ability to help would be much curtailed. I remember when I was a, training to be a GP, I was told a story about a practice which was moving its health centre, was building a new health centre, as they called them in old days. those days. So to do that, they had to knock down the building uh, that, the, that the practice was in, um, and in doing that, they had to clear the land around it. And one of the things they chopped down or cut down was a large tree that was just outside the entrance of the practice. Now, this happened to be a hollow tree um, with a large aperture, you know, about four or five feet off the ground. When they cut it down, they found it absolutely stuffed with prescriptions. <laughs> what? Like medicine? Or... 
No, just prescription, because in those days we had prescription pads and you took a prescription, you, you took a prescription to your chemist. So what had happened was that over the years, patients had been in to see the doctor. They had had a consultation. They'd come out with a prescription for whatever and they'd shoved it into the tree. Oh, wow. So, yeah, but it just showed you that actually the skills of engaging and using our influence better, mm. which is what leadership does for us, would have actually disclosed that, that the solution, in quotes, with the prescription, was, was not what was needed or wanted in this situation. Yeah. And the patient wasn't able to say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, would, what would have happened would have been that if that clinician who thought, I don't need any leadership skills, mm. if they had learnt the art of influence... That hollow tree, when it was cut down, it would have no prescriptions in it. <laughs> so it's on on the ground useful for the day to day job, and also the whole thing of the orientation of that you said at the beginning of what do we want ourselves and our world to look like as well, which is so important to yes, exactly. So, yeah. so we're going to be talking to you again. So what can we expect yes. from the rest of our leadership chats? Right. Yes, I'm with you. So um, you can expect more rambling from me because that, that's uh, that much is guaranteed. <laughs> um, so what can we expect? Well, I suppose the the introduction, which is setting the context, is really what we've been talking together about today. Um, the next step, I mean, I feel passionately about every step. The next step to me is 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 resonates very strongly with me as an individual, um, which is about knowing ourselves. So this genuinely lifelong process. So I'm in my, you know, 60s now. Um, and if anything, I'm learning even more quickly and at a deeper level now than I ever have done. So getting to know yourself and if you like, learning to in interact and engage with the world better is a lifelong journey. Possibly it, it becomes exponentially more, more useful to people as, as time goes on. And the next section of the book is this very challenging part of exploring why you are on this journey. You know, what are your motives in being mm -hmm. here? Challenging what you might have thought leadership was about and what it wasn't about. Challenging why you think this is for you and what you hope to get out of it. And giving our take on why we think leadership matters and should matter to you. So we have a take on it, which is arguable, but it's there to, it's there for you to explore. So there you go. I hope that sounds interesting, but that's what's ahead of us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very much looking forward yeah, to it. Absolutely. I think I'm going to learn a lot. Yeah, fabulous. Well, thank you, Amar. That was amazing. Pleasure. Pleasure. Enormous fun. I've really enjoyed it. Um, so it was really nice to um, get the episode recorded with Amar um, after having spoken to him and, and been in contact for a little while about getting these sorted. What did you take away from, from the chat, Sarah? Yeah, it's really nice because sort of ha having the book and reading through and then thinking about my reflections then and also thinking about them now is really lovely. So it's hard to know whether to, where to start. I know. <laughs> um, without boring the audience. <laughs> um, but yeah, just having that time to, I've got a list of books that I want to read. Um, I've got lots of fiction books that I, I love getting into. Um, but when I did sit down and start reading, it was amazing then just to give yourself a bit of space that we never, never get really to just sit with our thoughts about what we want our lives to look like and yeah. um, what matters to us and what are we trying to do with our practice and our skills sure. and I loved sort of thinking about 
here we are with all of our skills on the other end of, you know, having qualified and then thinking, you know, we could sit here and be grinding. We will be doing the work for, for the rest of our lives, but we need to also think about if all the people at the top or the leaders are making all the decisions that are actually the wrong ones, it makes our lives so much harder. And actually we can sit there and shape things in our practice and, and beyond. So um, it was an amazing kind of just powerful thought to just think, actually, do you know what? We have got a voice and we can do things. So that was one thing. Definitely. That was a big learning point for me. Yeah, no, I, I I completely agree. And I think, what I took away from it was that it's so much more accessible to get these skills and to maybe enact change. Like like I said in the episode, the stuff about the culture did strike home with me because if you read that in the book, it I don't know, it just seems like a bit of an easier in, in a way, to be able to mm. enact change. You don't have to be the top of the ladder, the big person in the organization, the one that's doing um, or making all of the decisions. You can see something and mention it and make a difference in that way. And I think a lot of the ways that that happens when you're joining a new organization or you're a junior member of the team or you're a trainee is by getting the feel for the place that you've entered that maybe hasn't had a new person enter in quite a long time. Um, and and as Amar said in the episode, that new pair of eyes that they have in mm. where he used to work, I think is so, it, it's, it's just such a good idea um, to yeah. be able to, to be that person and to, again, to just not feel that you have to be this, this big like knowledgeable formal leader to be able to do anything about it so I think that's what I took away from the the first bit of the book and also the bit that you said about kind of needing to know yourself and needing to strip yourself back and know what the essence of yourself before you can start to make a change and make a difference and be a leader I think that's really important so for these episodes, um, if you've got any questions or anything that you want to direct towards um, Dr. Amar Raghani, then please feel free to do so. Get in touch with us. So you can either email us at primarycarepodcasts at gmail.com or you can tweet us and our handle is at PCKB podcast. Yep, exactly. Like we said, we're, we're doing a couple of episodes with him and it would be lovely to get some um, some questions in from people who are listening and things you actually want to ask him. So please do let us know. And you, you can also use our survey. Um, if you don't want to email us or tweet us directly, um, you can stick it in the feedback bit of that and we'll pick it up whenever that comes through. Yeah. And the link will be in the episode description. And um, thank you also for people that are enjoying um, sharing and recommending us has been a lovely source of some feedback as well. Um, And we've had some lovely comments on the Apple podcast ratings things as well. So thank you very much to everyone who's been doing those things. Yeah, it's so lovely when we get things like that. Till next time. On Primary Care Knowledge Boost. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public. This was recorded in Greater Manchester in 2021. Guidelines can vary by location as well as over time, so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions. Uh, The content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice. It's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.